0: Welcome to Halton Police, the True Blue. I'm Jason Agnew. My guest today, Detective Constable Derek Gray, older adult abuse and financial crime investigator. Hello, Derek. How are you? I'm all right, you? I'm very well. Hey, thanks for doing this today. And well, let's just talk about your title to start things off there, because it is a bit of a mouthful. Um, What led you to work
1: in this particular section of policing? I think when I ended up policing uh, in Uniform Patrol, and did my first eight or nine years there, it was always an interest in business. That's my prior background. So looking at people's money, doing accounting, inventory, those kinds of things. And it just sort of fell into, became that guy. They went to all the fraud calls, trying to help people find their money, ways to protect their money, and then eventually complete those investigations. So was there something that kind
0: of grabbed on your heartstrings here as, as you did that to want to do more of it?
1: I, I think a lot of it was uh, with older adults, they don't have supports in place. Some of them are isolated. They need someone to fight for them. They need someone to say, that's not right. I'm going to go and help them. And it just became this cause that I got behind. And it this role opened up in Burlington, and I just thought this is a great way to help the people in the community that really need a help to solve these kinds of things and really focus on this kind of crime.
0: It seems like it's primarily targeted to those vulnerable in the community because there's no age limit, right?
1: Yes. A lot of people look at frauds as it'll never happen to me. Hmm. But frauds really are anybody with money can be a victim of a fraud whether it's text, email, phone, it's possible to get your money and someone's gonna try and get it from you.
0: So we're gonna get into a whole bunch of specific frauds because essentially we're talking about frauds in this podcast and it is your specialty. But just as an overarching theme of it all,
1: fraud itself, is there a common link between everything that you see? I think when you look at frauds, uh, frauds evolve and change. Uh, The people who commit frauds adapt to all the different ways of banking policy, different banking practices, financial ways of accessing your money. There's two common themes when we look at fraud. Every single fraud we could talk about today, you could pick one. The common themes are secrecy. Every fraud has some element of secrecy. Don't ask for help. Don't tell your husband or your wife that you owe tax money. Um, Don't ask anyone for help. Don't go to the police and every fraud also has this element of emergency which plays on our emotional heartstring do it now or else the police are going to come and arrest you if you don't do this you'll lose this money or someone's access your bank account give us your information now or you're going to keep losing money it plays on that emotional context of why humans behave the way they do now what about a generality
0: of fraud targets people who, I mean, these are vulnerable members of, of
1: our community. Yes. Frauds don't care how old you are. They, they don't care how much money you make. Frauds really target anybody who's willing to respond to that sort of fraudulent request for funds. Certain frauds like the grandparent scam might target our older adult community. Um, you know, a 14-year-old who has an initial job doesn't really pay taxes and might not fall victim to the CRA scam. So certain targets of frauds might be the older adult community who has homes or business people. And there's a lot of things out there in contract law, buying tickets online. Thousands of people buy tickets off Kijiji for a different concert. Most of them work out really well. Sometimes those tickets are fake and they don't exist. So fraudsters really target anybody willing to enter in a financial contract.
0: All right. You've mentioned a couple specific uh, scams, I guess we can call them. I mean, the grandparents is out there. The CRA is out there. I've heard so much about the grandparents scam. But for those who haven't, let's define it first and then get into the nitty gritty.
1: Yeah. The grandparents scam, really, uh, there's two versions of it. it some all, uh, people refer to it as an emergency scam. You'll get a phone call, hi, grandma, it's me. Often the victim, it's not their fault, but they say, oh, Jeffrey, is that you? What they're really doing is supplying that information to the fraudster. They now know the grandson's name or the most important memorable person from that grandparent or the person answers the phone. And then there's a scripted, um, I would say spiel or story. I've gone to a car accident. I've been injured in the skiing accident. I got arrested for drinking and driving. Any one of those topics is upsetting to an older adult on the phone or any family member that their family member is in crisis. They need trouble. And then it's here, talk to the lawyer. Here, talk to the doctor. Here, talk to someone else. Then there's another script where it's, I need $4,000 in cash um, or Google Play cards or Bitcoin or some payment method. And then I can get your son out of jail. And typically what happens is we see this money gets paid and an hour later, once the fraudster has the money, they get, they call back. Oh, well, the person who was in the car accident actually is now in the hospital. They have a broken leg. So we're gonna need medical bills in order to release your son from custody. And there's more, there's another $4,000. And the story continues until the older adult or the, per- the victim of fraud asks for help. Whether it be a neighbor, a friend, police, someone intercedes and says, this isn't right. That story doesn't sound too true. There's holes in that story. It doesn't make sense. And then victims phone police. We start trying to find out where the money went um, and try and get all the details that they might have if we can find out who this person is. So the CRA scam, give me that, cause we're going to talk
0: about how to deal with all of these at a certain point, but I want to define them all first. So the CRA scam, let's go through that. Well, I I assume Jason, you pay taxes. I do pay taxes for the
1: record. Yes. Yes. And our audience might know, don't raise your hand, but there could be someone who's listening that says, I don't know if I did my taxes correctly Mm -hmm. or I had a third party Pay my do my taxes for me, and I don't know what happened with last year's taxes. And some people are behind through no fault of their own. They just didn't get it done. So all frauds as well have this possibility of truth. It's possible some of our our audience members today are a little behind. So the story could be true. If you get a phone call, your taxes are behind, you owe fees, you owe money. If you don't pay it, you're going to get arrested for tax evasion or tax fraud. That is worrisome to people. And when you get that phone call at 7 a.m., don't tell your wife you didn't pay the taxes. We're going to come and arrest you. We're the RCMP phoning. We're working with Revenue Canada. You owe $4,000 in taxes. Go immediately to this bank. Don't tell anyone. Don't get the police involved. We are the police. It's very threatening. It's very emotional. It's very disturbing. And because the person doesn't take time to research it, They're caught up in the moment. They Again, they pay in Google Play or Bitcoin or whatever. And then all of a sudden, they'll get another phone call. We've reprocessed your claim. There's actually an additional $4,000 in legal fees you owe now. Go back to the bank. And that, you know, it's the element of possibility in every single fraud that people kind of fall for because they don't take time to slow down and think about it and ask for help. The
0: funny thing that you say here, and and I guess people do get caught up, but you know, the CRA scam, I don't think the Canadian government wants to get paid in Bitcoin or or Google or Google Play gift cards, right? Like there are certain red flags that you're saying that I recognize, but clearly, you know, when these fraudsters are going at people, they these people are not recognizing what's happening here. And the secrecy is is definitely flowing through both of these examples.
1: Yeah. When when we look at um, business practices. Any merchant, whether it be Canadian Tire, Tim Hortons, any place like that, they'll take debit card, credit card, cash. And as you suggested, the government doesn't want to get paid in Bitcoin or Google Play cards or Keg gift cards. That, that isn't currency. So the problem is is when we take time to think about it, it seems kind of foolhardy and a little silly paying your back taxes in Google Play cards or STEAM gift cards, whatever it might be. But we're caught up emotionally. We're vested in the outcome. I don't want to get arrested and be embarrassed in front of my wife. Oh, I need to pay this. So my child or my grandson who's injured in Vermont in a ski accident, I need them home with me. I'm emotionally spent about worrying about them. Your brain sort of shuts off and goes into survival mode. And your brain says, well, just get the gift cards and they'll come home. We don't take that time to think about it.
0: Even if um, I mean, is the basic thing here to say, "Hey, can I call you back?" Yes, on the on the line, like I mean, that seems like one of the things to to go for because they're not, I'm guessing
1: they will not provide a phone number. Yes, as sometimes you see those phone numbers and sometimes they're spoof phone numbers. Mm-hmm. They're digitally created by a computer program or software program to show up on your phone as any phone number. It could be traced. It just depends on what the situation is. When we sort of look at those um, ideas with any fraud and scam, it's if there's something you can't take five minutes to think about, you have to look at risk. You have to look at what's the potential outcome. And when we we talk about some of these things in, in the world of fraud is if you can't take five minutes to think about it, and you can't get a contract and you can't have recourse, the red flag should be going on in your mind. And then when we look at those, any kind of frauds and scam is um, in a business contract, there's recourse. I bought something. It doesn't work well. I have a contract. I could return it. When you're handing over gift cards or scratching the backs of gift cards to someone online or sending that email, there's no recourse and getting that information back. And that's where people need to take the time Um, with the older adult community and Canadians. We're very polite. We don't want to be rude. We don't want to upset anyone. And so we just assume everyone's telling us the truth. It's difficult, but we have to look at it and say, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no thank you. When someone's at your front door, you don't know who they are. they, They might be Red Cross. They might be a very well-known charitable organization. You don't have to open the door. And that's the impression I want to leave with our listeners and viewers. If you're allowed to say no, you're allowed to question people and say, I'll take a flyer. I'll take a brochure. Let me have time to think about it. And that is one of the best safer practices when it comes to frauds.
0: Now you talked a lot about red flags popping up and, you know, we talked about something like the CRA and a lot of business stuff, but sometimes, sometimes Derek, people may be blinded by love. And this next scam that you have uh, here on the list to talk about is one that I wasn't familiar with, but tell me about the romance
1: fraud. Yes. Romance scams. Um, They, they, they don't happen a lot, but they're very expensive. They're one of the highest, uh, fraud loss per victim because it it's really when we when we think about the con artist con really means the confidence scam I'm making you believe something when uh, a lot of older adults uh, widows or people who want to be in relationships that go to legitimate and some not legitimate online um, meeting singles places and you exchange information with someone but you've never actually seen them you've never seen a live video, you've seen a photo, you've seen some vacation photos, you've seen them at work, they seem really nice, they send me these lovely emails and text messages. You never actually met them. But as we talked earlier about emotions, when we let our emotions run wild and this is lovely, this person's giving me attention, they say how amazing I am, they want to give me some of their inheritance, or they've got money coming into Canada. One of our romance camps that we looked at this year and last year was this like concept of uh, someone retiring and bringing money into Canada and they could suck at the border with our Canadian border services and then they get arrested. They brought in gold, they brought in jewelry, they brought in precious metals, they weren't declared and they got arrested at the border. And then it, then it starts for eight months. You had this lovely relationship with this person online and they're just, you feel like they're the most amazing person in the world. And now you have to save them without you and your $40,000 or this deposit, legal fees, 40,000 for custody issues, 20,000 in land transfer tax and tariffs, any excuse you could make it's money, money, money. And we have victims that have been up to $200,000 in romance scams sent by international wire transfer or money transfers, and they, at the end, when they still haven't seen a human being and their new loved one still isn't out of jail, then they sort of become suspicious. They talk to a neighbor or a relative and say, I I think something's wrong, I need help. They come to police and we try and put that investigation together and we try and determine if that's even a real person most of the time, it's not. Hmm. It's fraud's fraudster online posing as this amazing man or woman who's going to make your life so much better.
0: A lot of what you said involves wire transfers, and we talked about the gift cards. Uh, A lot of it is technology-based. Has
1: technology made fraud easier? I don't think fraud's easier. I think technologies allow people to access their funds easier. Hmm. You can move, instead of moving cash and bags and bags of cash, we can now send money internationally and within minutes. So part of the idea of frauds is anybody in the world, if they can access you by phone, email, text, and you can send money, they can commit fraud. We have to really be careful as to where we're sending our money. And we talked earlier about recourse. When you send an e transfer through the Canadian banking system, If you wanna cancel the e-transfer, you can. If you send a check and the check gets deposited in the wrong account, the bank can trace that. When you're dealing in cash, it's a little harder to track where that goes. And when you're dealing with international wire transfers, we might get your bank account and it went to uh, whatever country overseas, but that's where our, our ability to track that money kind of stops sometimes. Okay, so we've talked. We've defined
0: the you know three types of fraud and talked talked about it in general terms here. Um, let's go the direction of hey, someone has figured out they finally talked to someone. They have uh, been frauded out of some money, scammed out of
1: some money. What now? One of the best things you can do, um, and the first thing you should do, is go to your local bank, go into your local branch, get some human to human interaction. Let the bank know what's going on. The bank will. Essentially, make all the stop payments on all your accounts. They'll give you a, a new debit or credit card, get you a new uh, PIN number, and they'll sort of secure your finances. So you could say from this day forward, everything is secure. In Canada, there's two companies, TransUnion and Equifax, and they hold our credit records. So you need to get a copy of that. They also have services that can blo- put a block on your credit. So no one can access it without your permission. You have a special code or a password, and that really protects any future problems with fraud or identity fraud. Then the next step would be uh, come to any one of our divisions or phone or communications, maybe the non-emergency number, and file a fraud complaint with police. What will happen is that uniform patrol will come to your house or meet you at the station. They'll take a report, so you need to collect everything: phone numbers, emails. Text messages, bank account numbers, places where you went to transfer money, any any codes for any gift cards, anything that might help the investigation along, and then officer is going to take a report from you. The report in Holland region will go to our regional fraud department. Um, you can also phone the fraud intake line, and you can leave a fraud report there, and a, a detective will call you back and get more details for you. Um, for those people that are a little more tech savvy. You can scan and send documents online. You can do it that way if you want to report a fraud. And then whoever gets assigned it will investigate it and follow up with you and see they'll have more questions and get a statement. But that's the basic idea of the best practice. Go to the bank first, secure your finances, secure any future credit loss, then report to police. And when you do report it to police and you get to that stage,
0: what? Success rate. I was going to say luck, but it's not luck. But what type of success rate do police have in tracking down uh, the fraudsters
1: and maybe recovering some money? From my experience, a, a good 10% of the people have been able to find some recovery of funds through the court process um, after a conviction in court. Some of, some of the victims um, who've sent money overseas, uh, I can trace it. I can tell you where your money went but zero success at getting your money back. That's why it's obviously important to take steps to prevent fraud.
0: Well, let's go there. I mean, let's, we've already talked about, you know, it, it doesn't look great as far as getting money back after this has happened, but um, looking just in general here to leave off with a few tips of what people can do, how people can be aware and what actions they can
1: take to avoid being
0: scammed in the first place.
1: Yeah, I look at, in all the years of being in the community and teaching older adults and and community members about frauds and scams, we have to look at that fraud is really a lie for financial gain. It's really that simple. When we kind of look at, I coined them as the ABCs of fraud prevention. We always have to calculate risk. Every transaction is risky, whether it's $5 to Girl Guides for a box of cookies, or it's a $50,000 transfer to buy a car online. Everything has an element of risk. If you calculate that risk, often and take the time to think about it, some things are very risky, and you have no recourse, that should be red flags. So you really gotta do your homework and investigate the risk that you're willing to take to part with your money. When we look at the other, the B is, be your own Sherlock Holmes. Mm. We have Google. Everyone has a cell phone. Most people have access the internet. You can research everything to the nth degree. Get three contracts for something to have renovation done on your home. Seek other people's advice. Really investigate the company you want or the fraud that's in front of you. Is this real? Is this too good to be true? And always, what can I do to ensure myself that it's true and real? And then I'm comfortable making a decision. And the last one really is control your data. When we look at technology, we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. text message, email, the minute you send, click a link, it sends something to your device. The minute you uh, get a request from a bank for a great mortgage rate and you fill in the form and hit send, you could have sent out all your personal information away and you have no recourse to get it back. As we know, the internet, when it's online, it stays online forever and you don't control that data anymore. And we think about when we control data, who's got it, what are you gonna use it for? If the bank phones and says, there's a problem with your credit card, the bank will always tell you to come into the branch. The bank will never discuss with you on the phone information if the bank is phoning you. Most of the listeners have had to phone the bank or phone the government. It's 10 minutes of verifying who you are because the government and the bank want to know they're dealing with Derek Ray. So that they know they can secure to give you information and exchange information. And then it's your personal private information. We need to take the same time to control who gets our data. So we've talked a lot about, you know, phones
0: being used for scams, the random phone call that you get, but everyone is using the internet. Everyone has a cell phone and that can be a scary world. I mean. I've gotten emails um, that look like they're from my bank. They're not from my bank, but I had to take a really close look at that in order to figure that out. What are red flags in regards to emails, social media, you know, that world? I I
1: think you have to really know who's sending you the message. When you look at a bank, a bank may, remember we talked about the possibility of fraud? A bank may send you a request of information. They may send you something that is uh, looking for a product or service you might like. We need to calculate the risk. Is this true? Can, how do I make sure this is my bank sending me information? And we have to look at, again, how do we verify this is true? It's going into your bank. It's taking the information on the bank of everyone's debit card or credit card. There's the correct number to phone your bank. And if the bank wants information, by text, email, phone, online, You have every right to phone the bank or go into the bank and make sure that is this request for information legitimate and why do you need my information? But their
0: logo is right in the email and it looks like other emails that I've
1: gotten from the bank. Yes. Sometimes email lists are compromised. Mm -hmm. So when we look at social media as well, you can copy anything online now with a good computer program. I can get the right color of Royal Bank's logo. I can copy it online and you may believe it's me. When we look at some of those emails, if we go up to the top left-hand corner of the cursor, and we roll over the actual email address, you realize it isn't ruralbank.ca, the correct website. It's ruralbank1.org. Mm. So that might be a tip to say, hmm, this needs further investigation of what I'm trying to do here. This doesn't seem legitimate. It's very high risk. And when you we're talking about social media and we got requests online from friends by email, It could be possible that your friend needs some gift cards and is stuck in a car accident before a birthday party. It's possible. But best course of action would be to call that friend on a number that you know from your phone and say, hey, are you in a car accident? Do you really need these gift cards for your cousin's birthday? It's sort of confirming the story. Be your own Sherlock Holmes and kind of think to yourself, what is my loss if I give away $300 in gift cards? Well, why would this person contact me online instead of just calling me? You have every right to say no and every right to verify who's trying to communicate with you. You're just forced to use your phone as a phone and talk to that
0: friend. Yes. Or sometimes there's risk involved. Maybe just give away those $300 if you don't want to talk to them.
1: Always best to have a human to human interaction. Makes sense.
0: And finally, are all of these people really trying to clean my ducks or... (laughs) <laughs> is this a scam?
1: Well, is it possible your ducks are dirty? I,
0: I mean, maybe, but I don't know why I'm getting all these phone calls, Derek.
1: A lot of business practices, uh, some are annoying, and that used to be a way of doing business. Uh, there are a lot of mass marketing companies that will phone people, uh, leave messages on home phone machines, and the uh, the concept of that duck cleaning call, whether it's email, text, or phone, is the same. If I send a message out to ten thousand people. And a thousand people might respond, and a hundred give me information, and ten send me money. If I'm a fraudster, that's a good. That's a good day making money. If it's a legitimate business, they're going to give you a contract. It's a different way of marketing. So you have to. It's buyer beware. Be your own Sherlock Holmes. Investigate that duck company for its legitimate company Better Business Bureau. The other the other way about businesses. Um, that we can go, consumers and listeners can go to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, lots of resources there. Also, the Competition Bureau has a book called The Little Black Book of Scams. It covers all the scams we talked about today. It covers different kinds of recourse and how to really uh, get into the nitty gritty of all the frauds. And when we look at those kinds of things, those are resources that anyone can use. The Little Black Book of Scams is in different languages. It's available by PDF and you can get a printed copy at any one of the Halton region stations. All right. You have answered all my burning questions.
0: I appreciate your time today, Derek. Thanks so much. Thanks for your time. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please check out other episodes of Halton Police The True Blue on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up to date with us on social media under the handle at Halton Police.